This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. This is Reverend Dave Johnson, the guy who does a lot of cover work for everybody. You are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt, two sexy, sexy men. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 267, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 5th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And the second skull crowding from this huge body right next to me is Mr. Joe Patrick. Say hello, Joe. Hey, what's up? Hey, you sound excited. It's Sunday morning. <laughs> it is Sunday morning. That's true. Joe skipping church. Here he is, folks. The top guy. Yeah. My name is Joe Patrick, and you can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And of course, you can follow the show at Two Headed Nerd. I skip church every day. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Shipwreck, number one, and Midnighter and Apollo, number one. After that... Midnight at the Apollo, number one. <laughs> After that, Joe and I will pack up the THN Mystery Machine while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during a ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we invited some of our favorite comic book cats to discuss Donald Trump's disturbing use of the P word. And we'll also discuss some of next week's comics. And finally, the comic pushers are back dropping dope rhymes and kicking some comic knowledge champion style. But before we start catcalling cute comic book and cartoon kitty cats, whoa, let's skip tonight's WWE No Mercy pay-per-view event because there's going to be an even bigger brawl on national TV at the debate. Oh, man. I hope Hillary just takes her pants off and points at her genitals. <laughs> I do not hope for that. I mean, I would like her to hey, give him Donald, a sound thrashing. Check it out. <laughs> and then we can talk about this week's big go. Grab this. <laughs> Matt, have I got some news for you. DC's... This is the only good thing that happened to me this week. All right. (laughs) DC's long-dormant Wildstorm line is being relaunched in 2017 with none other than Warren Ellis at the helm. According to comicbook.com, the new Wildstorm will be a quote-unquote pop-up imprint. I hate that. Yeah. (laughs) Similar to Gerard Way's Young Animal, the line's flagship title will be the ongoing monthly The Wildstorm took a day off that day I, yeah, guess. I guess i don't know by ellis and clean room artist john davis hunt he's great debuting yes in february with rebooted versions of characters such as grifter voodoo the engineer jenny sparks and more ellis said quote after a long reflection i couldn't turn down the invitation to renovate the house that jim lee built and refit its unique combination of cosmic paranoia and paramilitary conspiracy for the post-political space madness of the 20 teens. All of which Warren Ellis introduced when he started writing at Wildstorm. I'm sure that's exactly what Jim had in mind. None of that was there when uh, Jim Lee was doing it. Looking back to look forward, and quote, of course, in reference to his past work with Wildstorm on books like The Authority, Stormwatch, and Planetary. Very much beloved. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In addition to writing the core The Wildstorm title, Ellis will curate other titles for the line, including Wildcats, Zealot, and Michael Cray, which is the real name of Wildstorm character Deathblow. Love Deathblow. They must be trying to capture that Jack Reacher audience. I don't know. 
No creative teams for those books have been named, though. Matt, on a scale of one to I just my pants. How are your pants right now? <laughs> I have to change them. It's bad. I am so excited for this, but I've got a bunch of questions. Does this mean the Wildstorm characters are leaving the DC? Uh, so I believe what I gathered from panel discussions at this week's New York Comic Con. Right. Uh, the Wildstorm is back in its own universe. Okay. However, Midnighter and Apollo are obviously firmly in the DC universe. Well, we'll talk about that when I get to my review of the book. I just, I'm not sure how they're going to do this, you know? And and that's fine, but... It's Rebirth, baby. Just don't mention it. I mean, I guess, yeah, you just don't have to do it. And it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're not playing with DC's wonky continuity, you can just be like... Who cares? Here is this now. And that's fine. Reinvent it. I don't care. I love these characters. I love Warren Ellis. I think he will pick awesome people to work on these books. I cannot wait to see them back. And quite honestly, the main problem with these characters in the DCU was they just didn't work there. Right. The Wildstorm universe was not the DCU. The heroes and the villains were totally different characters, and they played by very different rules. And, and this is not to downplay how cool the Wildstorm characters can be in the right circumstances, but when you have a world that already has Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman in it, right. who gives a about voodoo? Or who gives a Grifter of those characters show right. up. It's just, it's not interesting. Unless they're bad guys. I mean, it's just not interesting. Yeah. So I'm happy to see them go back to their own universe. I think it's going to be great. I am excited and I am excited for you. Joe Patrick, Comixology has announced they're launching an exclusive line of digital only content. The line will be called, apparently they took the day off too, Comixology Originals. Oh, good. <laughs> it's going to include titles from a variety of publishers and creators, including Valiant Entertainment, Boom Studios, and legendary Mad Magazine co-founder Harvey Kurtzman. Long dead. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I haven't seen much work from Harvey lately. Yeah. So the first wave of titles is going to show up on Comixology and Kindle from creators like Mariko Tamaki and David LaFuente, who's awesome, to Harvey Kurtzman, I don't understand what's going on here, and Fabio Moon, who we both love. Yeah. The first titles offered as part of the Comicsology Originals program are going to be Adventure Time, Marshall Lee Spectacular from Boom, three all-new original Marshall Lee stories set in the Boom Studios' best-selling continuation of Cartoon Network's Adventure Time. I know that this has nothing to do with the book or anything about it, but every time I see any reference of Marshall Lee, I immediately think of Getty Lee. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I can't help it. I don't know why. <laughs> and then we get Valiant High from Valiant Entertainment. It's yeah, this is a weird one. Yeah. It's a hilarious reimagining of Valiant's award-winning superhero universe by writer Daniel Kibblesmith, who worked on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and artist Derek Charm, who draws Jughead. The series reimagines the early Valiant U as an Archie-esque high school comedy where characters like Arik Exo Manowar of Dacia is a record-setting running back. Colin Ninjack King is a debonair foreign exchange student and Coach Bloodshot is way too into Dutch ball. <laughs> this just sounds stupid. Uh, I mean, so it's obviously like an out of continuity, just like fun. I mean, I guess, but here's all the characters thrown together as cares? though they were friends when they were teens or whatever. Who cares? It just sounds stupid. I mean, well, if it's good, it's good. It's just, it's an odd, it's an odd idea. Speaking of odd ideas, the Kurtzman project is Harvey Kurtzman's Marley's Ghost. Okay. This was an unfinished work that he had worked on. He worked on it for a long time and he created like 70 pages yeah. worth of breakdown material and then just never finished it. New Yorker cartoonist Shannon Wheeler 
of Too Much Coffee Man. Fame. Yeah, yeah. Love that guy. And illustrator Gideon Kendall and editor Josh O'Neill are going to expand on it and finish it. Is that okay? Is this okay? Yeah, I mean, I believe I read something about how it is being done in conjunction with the estate of Harvey Kurtzman. Okay. So it's not like they just found it in a drawer and went for it. Right, right, right. And I'm not saying like I have this deep attachment to Marley's ghost, but if it was any project that someone like didn't finish and then they died, I kind of feel like maybe you just put out what they did. Well, you know? I mean, I don't think he died with the pen in his hand well, no, I don't writing either, Marley's ghost. I, I think I he know. just kind of gave up on it. And of course, I respect the hell out of Shannon Wheeler and I think it'll be handled well. I just, I, it just seems like such an odd thing to launch in their first wave. This seems very specialized. This seems like an IDW hardcover artist edition type yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I, it would it would be great as an artist edition, but I don't know if there's even any finished art. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, we don't know how much material actually exists outside of like notes and breakdowns and whatnot. So this is going to be like a a 100 page graphic novel, more or less, a digital graphic novel for 9.99. And you can pre-order all of this stuff now, and it's going to start rolling out in 2017. Yeah, the big story here is Comixology is moving into original work. Which doesn't about, really seem... About goddamn time. ...like a huge no. leap for them. In no. fact, like they were already putting out original work. It just wasn't from Comixology. No, you know, I mean, it wasn't putting out stuff that's from the company Comixology. Available there. Now they're basically making themselves a comic book company, too. We'll see. Good luck out there. Yeah. Go, <laughs> go get them, kids. It's shark infested waters. <laughs> All right. Now, here's some bullshit we have to deal with. Oh, boy. Six North American comic book creators have joined forces to create a new publishing imprint called, get this, Two Headed Press oh, or okay. 2HP for short. The creators behind Two Headed Press are Ed Brisson from The Violent, which I love, Ryan Ferrier. Uh, who has written many things, but for some reason, the only thing they list is Curb Stomp. Uh, he also created DeForv. Yes. Uh, it's Dave. It's not DeForv. <laughs> uh, uh, Tiny Howard or Teeny Howard, uh, who contributed to The Secret Lives of Geek Girls. Kurt Pyers, who uh, wrote The Forevers, which I trashed last week. I'm sorry. Yes, you did. Uh, Fabian Wrangle Jr., who created Doc Unknown and... The friend guy, of the show. The guy who I'm crediting for stealing all of our ideas, yeah. Christopher Sabella well from Welcome aware Back. aware of this show, Sabella. All right. he's, a, he's been a guest on the show two times. Beeps, get Ryan Forrest on the phone. Well, the six creators are known for their independent work. They've also done work for hire from all of the major publishers. Two-Headed Press's mission statement focuses on publishing their own stories without having to wait for the approval of a larger company. There will be, quote, an emphasis on offbeat, transgressive stories delivered to readers through crowdfunding platforms such as Kickstarter. I read that as transgendered stories. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, transgressive. Transgressive. So this is going to be like a curated line, which means it's not really a publishing company. It's more like a, a collective, more or a less. collective, like a studio almost. Yeah. So it's a like Kickstarter so each run by a team. Each member is in charge of running their own crowdfunding and, and things like that. But they all kind of come out under the same banner. It's like a Kickstarter gang. Yeah. And they're all going to have you a know how much I love gangs. I know you do. <laughs> the first project from to at a press is. Fabian Wrangle Jr. and Javier Caba's Blood Brothers, parentheses, Los Hermanos Sangre. I like that. Yeah. It is a luchador, supernatural looking crazy pants adventure. It is on Kickstarter right now, and it sailed past its goal in just a few days. Yeah, we'll wait till that comes out because it looks really good. Then we'll sue their balls off. Yeah, well, we want to wait till they start making money. Yeah, yeah. 
Upcoming projects are the second volume of The Violent from Brisson and Adam Gorham, which is making the jump from Image to Two Edit Press. Or I guess I don't understand. Maybe they're not coming. They're not their own publishing company. No, I think there's so maybe it's still going to be Image. I don't know. There's no mention of that. I I think this is just some guys that are getting together and they're basically saying, look, we've all done different crowdfunding projects. How can we combine our experiences and make it better as a group? I think that's all this is. I'm pretty sure it's going to come out. This stuff will come out wherever it comes out because they're not publishing it. They're just getting the money to get it published. I don't think I, th- I think yeah. that's true. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Sabella has a quote, a comedy slash crime slash cooking comic. I love it. Uh, with George Kambaitis, Leslie Atlansky and Dylan Todd. Wow. I think Leslie Atlansky is from Atlanta. <laughs> Atlanta is where I was going. <laughs> yeah. And finally, a bold new political she series fish person. called <laughs> Reality by Kurt Pyers, Alex Diotto and D. Cuniff. I think this D knife. I mean, we're, 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 we keep sitting here kicking it around trying to figure out exactly what it is, but I think this is just what it is. It's just a collective of people that know each other and said, how can we help each other out and make enough money to put out these books that we want to put out? See, but they're talking about getting together to make these stories happen without having to wait for the approval of a larger publisher. So if that doesn't mean that they're publishing their own stuff, well, but I mean, that's what image does, right? You come to them with the money and if they go, yeah, it's pretty cool. They put it out. They're not going to, edit stuff i mean i think they're just it's just another way to say look we're doing this without marvel or dc well i think it's safe to say that it's still in the formative stages and they're still working out um how it's all going to work they're also uh talking about when the time will be right to reach out and bring in new creators to the collective well and that's the other thing like Um, these guys they've obviously they they have people that are excited about what they do already so when they crowdfund something they can get money behind it. So if they get behind someone else, they can help scratch somebody else's back to get like somebody you've never heard of crowdfunded. I think this is just intelligent crowdfunding and it's crazy what crowdfunding has done to indie comics. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, we're seeing stuff that would have never been printed and this just seems like the next sort of natural step, I guess. Not well, so I much hope of- they all die in a fire <laughs> for stealing our name. <laughs> Just kidding. I wish them all the success. These are a great bunch of creators. And hey, look, Two-Headed Blank is a great name for anything. Sure. We'll see your ass in court. (laughs) That's a big news for this week. If you'd like to talk about these stories and every other story we totally ignored. I heard there was some little comic convention. Yeah, you know, it's kind of coast. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> you remember when you sleepy used to, little town. You remember when you used to have comic conventions and they'd be like, "Here are twenty five different announcements that you have never heard before." Well, yeah. from Comic Con, and now it's like we're just giving you more of your information about all the <laughs> we've already talked about. Yeah, pretty much. Like conventions aren't where they premiere the stuff anymore. Now they control it themselves, which is probably smart. Very smart. But you know, and now it's just like, look at all these cosplay photos. <laughs> cool. <laughs> hey, I like a good cosplay photo. Sure, who doesn't? Head over to the two-headed nerd forums, click on the big news segment, and tell us what we missed. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. let's just talk about we stuff. Barely pay attention to anything. Speaking of cosplay, every Sunday, the chief of THN Cosplay, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week dressed in his sexiest Poison Ivy gear. Joey, what are we asking the nerds this week? That's a terrifying thought. 
man, you really squeeze into that thing. <laughs> hey, it, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes you wear a costume and sometimes the costume wears you it's is true. all I'm saying. Just don't objectify him folks. Yeah. All right. So we're pushing the deadline for the current question to October 14th. That's Friday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. And for those that need a reminder, this question came from our good buddy, Patrick Kavanaugh, who asks, what ongoing comic series do you think has overstayed its welcome and should come to an end? Or what ongoing that did finally come to an end do you think went on way too long? So we're basically asking the same question, whether it's a current comic or a comic that has passed but lasted way too long, way longer than it should have. Pick one and answer. Don't try and answer both because it's a, it's a, it's a longer discussion. I don't want to hear you rush through it. Right, exactly. You can call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894 and leave a message or if you haven't overstayed, you're welcome. You can send an MP3 to twoeditnerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, keep it under two minutes. That's no joke. If you need more time than that, head to the THN forums. They're at thnforums.boards.net. Go to the question of the week section. Write everything and anything that you want. Discuss it with your fellow nerds and then tune in next week, Thursday, to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. We promise. Yo, sucker, you got a big mouth. It's a review time in the Ziggurat where Matt and I don't realize our mics are on and say some terrible things about two of this week's comics that we'll apologize for sort of very soon. And hopefully you guys will find some way to explain it all away and keep supporting us because that's how it works. Yeah, right? Matt, what comic did you grab by the this week? <laughs> this week, I had to read Midnighter and Apollo number one from DC, a comic book just for me. Written by Steve Orlando, with art by Fernando Blanco and Romulo Fajardo Jr. You Romulo know, sounds like he could be a Romulan. Um, I like that name. I actually do not remember seeing Fernando Blanco's name in the actual credits. It may have been in the solicit. Oh, really? Let me look. At, you go ahead and let me let okay. me just... It was 32 pages for $3.99. Look, I was one of a handful of readers that loved Steve Orlando's Midnighter series of the new DC 52 or the DC new 52 or was it the DC DC YOU YOU okay <laughs> not important what was important was Orlando created and fleshed out Midnighter's own little corner of the DCU where he fought a military industrial complex run amok and Dick Grayson showed up a lot too and it was fun when he did the new miniseries feels like a perfect continuation of Orlando's Midnighter with a supernatural bend to it and his old partner and lover, Apollo, is back. The last Midnighter series touched on Apollo and Midnighter's relationship, but the two had been separated for a while. Here, they are firmly back together, wrestling with a group of subway pirates and a train golem in an amazing first action segment. Blanco and Fiardo Jr.'s two-page action scene of the Midnighter fighting his way through a series of train cars. It's like page five, right? Right in the beginning. It is worth the cover price alone. So cool. Orlando nails the chemistry between the two stars of this book while illustrating their frustrations with each other's personalities. They have a real relationship. It's not just two homosexual characters that are homosexually in love and they are superheroes and homosexuals, you know? Homosexually in love. <laughs> like, they... What I'm saying is I believe their relationship. I believe they're a couple. Orlando is one of the only writers that I think can do this this effectively. We talked about the return of the DC Wildstorm U in the big news just a few minutes ago. And honestly, 
Other than a brief appearance of Monsieur Mala and the brain, there wasn't much here that connected this issue to the rest of the DCU. You know, and I think that that is smart because like we were saying earlier in the news, right? when you throw these Wildstorm characters that are very cool, they're very cool. I into the deep them. end with all of the other also yeah. very cool DC characters. It kind of dilutes them. I don't need them there. And I think that having these guys just running around solo without having a lot of outside interference is a good move. Yeah. And I don't, it would not be a deal breaker for me if this miniseries just took them out of the DCU quietly. I'd be fine with that. Regardless, it's obvious that Orlando loves these characters as much as an old Wildstorm dork like me does. I had a blast with this issue, and I'm so happy to see the Midnighter and Apollo back together. Buy it, buy it, buy it. I don't think that they're going to excise them from the DCU because I think that DC and fans uh, enjoy the like best frenemy dynamic between Midnighter and Grayson a little too much. I mean, maybe, but it, the book didn't sell. The only thing that kept Midnight or Float was that Grayson type. Yeah, but he showed up in like Batman and Robin Eternal. But who cares? I mean, like, honestly, I think they would. <laughs> I, I really think they're trying to force the Midnight. But obviously people care. It wouldn't happen if people didn't care. You say cre- that. The creators loved him. Old dorks like you and me love him. But I don't think they're going to be able to force this character down the throats of people that don't know Wildstorm or who the Midnighter is. I work with two guys that jumped on board DCU with the new 52. And they were like had no idea who these characters were, didn't care, thought they were stupid for the most part. And he's like, he's just another Batman. He's Batman, but he kills people. Who cares? I mean, I don't think it's, I think they work better on their own and I don't know that they're going to be able to really sell them and make them monthly characters anywhere in the regular DCU. Yeah, but do you think it's going to sell any better if they decide to take it out of the DCU? If possibly, if they say, "Look, this is a Wildstorm book, and we have different expectations of its sales," it sticks around longer. Mm. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's fair. I really loved it. I didn't read the Midnighter book. I wanted to. I just never had the opportunity to wonderful. get caught up. But I, I really like what Orlando is doing in the DC universe. I or at DC, whether it's in the universe or not, uh, I love his take on. Midnighter, I thought I agree that the relationship between Apollo and Midnighter seemed very genuine, uh, though we didn't really get a great sense of Apollo's personality, per se, which I would have liked a little bit more about that. Um, I really loved that they brought in a bunch of old Wildstorm concepts, Yeah, which I don't know if they were present in the Midnighter book. No, no. Um, and also, again, they keep dragging Hitman back into the dc universe and i absolutely love it yeah uh so yeah it's great it's super violent it's very well paced the art is amazing i thought that there were a couple of clunky um action panels really here and there there's a scene without spoiling too much there's a scene where apollo gets shot at okay um and it's just like very that's particular scene oh mauser yeah right (laughs) uh there's a moment that I feel like should have been maybe choreographed a little differently or, or, or depicted a little bit more dramatically. Okay. Like all of the action surrounding oh, it I, is super yes, cool. I know what you're talking um, about. But yeah, and you have to look at the book because I don't want to spoil too much, but otherwise I thought it was gorgeous. Uh, Fernando Blanco was great. This is a f- super fun book. I'd like to go back and read Midnighter. I'm giving this a buy it as well. All right. Speaking of clunky, Joe Patrick, what'd you review this oh, week? Oh boy. So this week I'm reviewing Shipwreck number one from Aftershock Comics, written by Warren Ellis with art by Phil Hester and inks by Eric Gapster. It's 32 pages for $3.99. I'm going to reread the solicit, even though I read it last week, because it, you know, it bears I think it's necessary. Yes. <laughs> 
Dr. Jonathan Shipwright, sole survivor of a very unusual and very secret shipwreck, doesn't know where he is, seemingly trapped on an endless road in pursuit of a saboteur who holds the key to his salvation or doom. Okay. Jonathan Shipwright wakes up in the middle of nowhere, wandering aimlessly through the broken wastes of a world that may not be his own. Is it purgatory? Is it hell? Is it maybe just an alternate version of Earth? Is it maybe just Warren Ellis talking in his sleep? Yeah. (laughs) Shipwright and the readers aren't given any real answers as he runs across a sinister inspector that obviously knows more than he lets on, and another lost soul that's taken to cooking human flesh. In the kitchen of a broken down diner. Is that what that was? Oh, and did I mention <laughs> that Shipwright has the ability to teleport? Yeah. Inexplicably. Yeah. <laughs> or turn to smoke anyway. Um. Well, he's he's teleporting. Is that what he does? Yeah. Okay, because it kind of looked like he did like a Dracula thing where he turned he's, into a mist and slipped through the door. He's apparating like he like sort of like Harry Potter where they like. Ugh. He turns to turns to smoke and then rematerializes someplace else. But he has like this mesh inside of him that makes it right. The, the, the inspector called it the, the, the apporter mesh is still functioning. Ultimately, Jonathan is given a, (laughs) is given a glimmer of hope and sets back out on the path for answers. Warren Ellis, like Grant Morrison is a writer that can be really challenging at times. But as far as my own personal tastes are concerned, I never feel so confounded by Ellis's projects that I give up, which has happened to me on more than one occasion with Morrison. Would you say that you find some of them confounding? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. But there's a difference between something being so confusing right. that I literally don't understand it and something that's confusing because I don't have all the facts. Yes. And that's what this is, I think. Okay. I like where you're going here. Ellis isn't ready to reveal this book's secrets yet, and so the readers are in the same boat, no pun intended, as Shipwright, and that's okay, because experiencing this ride with the main characters have the fun. Phil Hester is one of my all-time favorite comic book artists, and his work here with inker Eric Gapster and colorist Mark Englert is sublime. He works at Gapster a lot, right? Yeah, he yeah he's yeah. in recent years working a lot with, Gap, with Eric Gapster. The art team creates a broken vision of reality with a terrifying unreality seeping in through the cracks. Hester's figures are disturbingly expressive and his angular style is almost beautifully ugly in a way that makes even the mundane moments visually compelling. Like, I can't lie. I I really didn't understand half of what was going on in Shipwreck number one, but it looked great. And there are some creators that have more than earned the benefit of the doubt, and Warren Ellis is definitely one of them. I'm giving Shipwreck a buy it because I'm confident that readers will be rewarded for sticking with the story. Unlike when I've had similar feelings about Grant Morrison books where I've just been like, well, what the f*** was this, man? Sure. Leave it. Sure. I, I at least I feel confident that if I keep reading Shipwreck when it's done or where it gets to a certain point i'll understand you'll be able to explain it in a paragraph yes (laughs) okay i had to read this twice the first time i read it too i thought well maybe i've had too much to drink (laughs) because i i don't know what the hell is going on here then i read it again and i still wasn't really sure what's going on i'm with you in a sense that i think yes there is a story here it will be fleshed out but there better be a pretty good payoff in issue two or i might be done well sure that is the blessing and curse of first issues. Right. You either 
you either hook me enough to say, okay, I'm going to give you some rope to hang yourself with. Right. And hope that you, you know, pull I, it off. Instead I guess of- just whenever I read something like this and I love Warren Ellis, but whenever I read something confusing and sort of uh, mysterious like this, typically I need a payoff on the last page or the second to last page or, you know, just to get me to go, oh, okay, now I got to see where this goes now. I didn't get that here. I agree. It, it wasn't here. And maybe he's pacing it that way on purpose, but it makes it hard for me to get excited about another issue. You know what I mean? I'm giving it a skim it because it was very well done. It was very well written, but there wasn't a hook that got me. It just seemed like a bunch of odd poetry. I w- I'm with you. I think that it's a coin flip whether or not okay. you whether or not you pick this up and go, okay, I'm confused, but I, I'm interested. I love the Buy art. It. I love the art, and yeah, the dialogue was cool, but a little too dreamy. That's all. I, I just there's no hook for me. Totally get it. The church bell chimed till it rang twenty nine times for each man on the Edmund Fitzgerald. So that is a double buy it for a midnighter at the Apollo number one and a skim it and a buy it for shipwreck number one. Now it's time for you super heroic lovebirds and afterlife astronauts to play critics. So head over to thnforums.force.net and tell us what you thought of these comics. That's not a spoiler because we don't know if he's dead or not. Yeah, no, it's afterlife question mark. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, I admit it. We forgot New York Comic Con was this weekend, and we're leaving pretty late. But I will be damned if we're going to miss the Xenoscope after party again this year. Yeah! So we're loading up the two-headed nerd conversion van. It's got a wicked airbrush Kill Raven mural on the side. And hauling ass to the Big Apple to party with all the naughty fairy tale ladies of the Grim Fairy Tales U. While we review ten more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. It's a surprisingly complex continuity when you get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ludicrous Speed! <laughs> I don't know if that's true. No! Archie meets Ramones, number one from Archie. I admit I almost have zero history with Archie and the gang, but I'm pretty sure his band, the Archies, were not a punk rock band. That's where Sabrina the Teenage Witch comes in. The Archies suck, and they just got booed off stage at the high school talent show. So Sabrina sends them back in time to meet the Ramones and learn how to rock. And after a series of lyrical side gags and unfunny Ramones puns, they do. Yay. This was a stupid, classic Archie, quote, fun. And writer Alex Segura does a perfectly good job capturing the, quote, Archie magic. Giselle Lagasse's art is fantastic, though. and yeah, it's beautiful. She's really good. And it's in the classic Archie style. Very much so. But this is not for me. If you're a classic Archie fan, you'll love it when he meets the Ramones. If you're Matt Bomb, ugh, whatever. I give it a buy it because they did a good job of doing this. No, that sounds like a skim it to me. That is a skim it. It's well, okay. But, I mean, Stick like, they to did your a guns. very good job of this classic Archie formula. They nailed that. And if they're playing in those waters, then that is a buy it. I don't care about it. It would be a skim it from mean no, old me. No, a buy it means you recommend it wholeheartedly. Yeah, if you like that crap, you know, I don't know what That's not know. a wholehearted recommendation. It's know. a skim it. I it's skim a skim it. it. Skim Jesus it. Christ. Champions number one from Marvel. Like you've ever had such a hard time tanking an Archie book before. They did, they did a great job on this piece of shit. You know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Marvel has finally untangled the legal red tape that has prevented them from using one of the greatest team names of all time for the past 30 plus years. Seriously, who had it? Uh, some gaming company, some uh, role-playing game company. Okay. Like, but how great is the champions for I a know, team right? name? 
Mark Wade and Humberto Ramos, Usher, Miss Marvel, Miles Morales, and Young Nova. I know that Miles Morales is Spider-Man, but to me, he's Miles Morales. He's Miles Morales. Yeah, it's just how I think of it. They ushered them out of the Avengers and into a new group that's tired of cleaning up the mess left behind by the adult heroes. It's a great premise, and it plays on a lot of classic teen book tropes in a good way. Marvel's completely demolished release schedule means that this takes place after Civil War II, but you don't have to worry about any spoilers. We get the because they still haven't figured out how they, it ends. Because they don't know, yeah. <laughs> we get the promise of more teen heroes to come and some wonderful art by Ramos. Aside from some clunky moments where an old man tries to write teen dialogue, this book was a lot of fun and much better as a fit for these characters than yes. the Avengers. In yes, my opinion. get them out of the Avengers. Champions number one gets a buy it. Black number one from Black Mask. This black and white story takes place in a racially charged present, much like today, but here a small group of superpowered individuals have popped up and they're all black. Once again, Black Mask presents an interesting twist on the superhero genre, melded with current issues of the Black Lives Matter movement. Jamal Eagle's classic black and white pencils bring the story to life while giving the book a real world feel. This is intelligent superhero storytelling with a very solid message. Nice job, guys. I'm giving Black number one a buy it. This is a huge, this was a huge Kickstarter success. Yes. Just kind of. Uh, so it wasn't like Black Mask's idea, but it was this collective of creators right. that came to Black Mask, and it is now available in print and digital for those of you that did not back the It was great. Jessica Jones, number one from Marvel. Jessica Jones is back in her own solo series, courtesy of her original creators, B.M. Bendis and Michael Gatos. Bendis brings us into the story already in progress, and we catch up to Jessica in a very unexpected place trying to get back into the P.I. game while wrapped up in a really compelling mystery of her own. With Gatos's beautiful and moody art and a mature reader's tone that tries to capture the vulgar charm of the Alias Max series. Not a, no F-bombs, no. but you got some S-words in there. Sure. This, this sort of felt like coming home again after too long of an absence. Jessica Jones, number one, gets a strong buy it. It was really good. Betty Boop, number one from Dynamite. Giselle Lagasse makes another appearance in my five on the penciling duties for Betty Boop. And again, she nails Max Fleischer's classic animated style. I'm pretty sure she can just sort of turn like chameleon any kind of style she wants. She's fantastic. Roger Langridge proves once again he can write any classic character and make the read perfectly charming. But honestly, I'm probably not going to read any more Betty Boop comics. <laughs> it is a buy it because of the attention to detail and the strong art. But this is probably only for hardcore Betty Boop fans. I mean, I will say there you go again. I went into it not caring at all. And I read it and was like, hey, they did a really good job with this. Right. I mean, made me smile. It, it was really pretty to look at. And there's a really creepy kind of sexy cover by Howard Chaikin featuring Betty Boop and the clown. I, it's beautiful, but it's also kind of... Ugh. That guy has got issues. He's a prevert of the First Order. Death of X, number one from Marvel. I was sort of excited to check back in with the X-Men after a year or so of disinterest, and I wish I could say that they hooked me back in. The book is gorgeous, thanks to newly Marvel-exclusive artist Aaron Cooter and colorist Maury Hollowell, but the characters are still... Carrying on with the same bullshit that turned me away a year ago. The Terrigen Mists are killing mutants around the world, and Cyclops just suddenly decides that the Inhumans must be doing it on purpose. Why else and would that it? means war? Of course. Plus, the book unceremoniously kills off a beloved ex character, and I am not okay with it. Who? 
Oh, really? Yep. That's dumb. It's definitely not the worst thing I've read, but I'm just, I'm not interested in this direction. Death of X gets a skim it, mostly based on the amazing art, because you know this it's is? gorgeous. This is the remnants of them trying to force the Inhumans down everyone's throat. No one cares. And this is also a story that we should not have had to wait yeah. 16 months for. Yeah. This should have come out right after Secret War right. Wars and explained what the hell was going on with the X-Men. Yes. Now I don't give a sh. Nobody does. Intertwined, number one from Dynamite. Kung Fu and magic meet in this somewhat confusing tale of a young man training for a Kung Fu tournament while dodging the Kung Fu gangsters of Hong Kong. Did I mention there's Kung Fu? And there's a magic side story. Uh, do they go to Hong Kong? Yes. Okay. There's a magic side story that has something to do with Kung Fu and the five elements coming together. Then our main character's uncle dies, and he has to go to New York to collect his uncle's inheritance, but he's intercepted by gangsters. For reasons I didn't quite pick up on. <laughs> There's some solid fight scenes here, but the art was inconsistent at best. The story here was over-narrated and tried to just do way too much in the first issue while dropping several forced Chinese references like, My head rings like a Bian Zhong. This wasn't terrible, but I can't say Intertwined was good either. I'm giving it a low skim it. Shade the Changing Girl number one from DC slash Young Animal. I never read the Vertigo Shade series back in the 90s. It was and, great! And unfortunately, I feel like having that primer is almost necessary in this new series from writer Cecil Castellucci. A new refugee from the planet Meta steps into Rack Shade's madness coat and into the body of a comatose girl that everyone wishes would never wake up. I actually got more context from the solicit and the replica who's who pages in the back of the book, which were super fun. The story was nearly impenetrable in a way in the way that it bounced around, but the art by Marley Zarconi is lovely. Great name. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a fun Space Ranger backup story by Natalia and Gilbert Hernandez. I gotta give Shade the Changing Girl a skim it. I just I could barely wrap my brain around it, but the backup material was super great. I think that's kind of how Shade is supposed to be though. I yeah, think that's I where you go to get this story. But if that's a if that's the sort of story you're going to be, that's fine. But don't make it so that I feel punished for not having the context of the original. Gotcha. I mean, it's been 20 years. Right. Big trouble in Little China slash Escape from New York. Number one from Boom. The premise here is clever as hell. Jack Burton is accidentally summoned from 1987 to the apocalyptic future of 2001. Escape from New York. Why? Because he looks just like Snake Plissken, of course. Daniel Bayless draws the hell out of this book, and as a fan of John Carpenter and Kurt Russell's work together, I would love to buy almost any original page here. But I found Greg Pak's script to be a little too cute. It's like he couldn't decide if this was an all-ages book or not. It's not an all-ages book. Well, it's violent. People get shot and murdered, but the dialogue wasn't nearly tough enough for these two mega macho characters. I mean, like, there were more curse words in the PG-13 Big Trouble in Little China movie than there is in this book. I thought it was really good. I thought it was fine. I just hope R.J. McCready from John Carpenter's The Thing remake shows up in the next issue. For now, Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, gets a skim it and a worst title ever. That's the best that you could come up with. <laughs> I mean, call it Jack versus Snake. Big Trouble Little China slash, you know, whatever, you know? Sure. Uh, come on. You can do better. That's all I'm saying. He-Man, Thundercats, number one from DC. It is the epic crossover that young Joe Patrick has waited 30 years to see. The Masters of the Universe run afoul of Third Earth's greatest villain, Mumra the Ever-Living, courtesy of Mattel creators Rob David and Lloyd Goldvine, 
who apparently have been working on the He-Man comic for years, and I just have never noticed. Oh. And artist Freddie Williams II, who I absolutely adore, but keeps doing these weird 80s licensed matchup books. He seems so wasted on this. But he's so good, and he makes them great. It looks beautiful. It's incredibly goofy and almost painfully simple, but it's a ton of fun, and the art is gorgeous. I'm giving He-Man Thundercats a buy it. I, I loved it. It's stupid. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I want that on quotes on the issue too. It's two. so stupid. It's I love stupid, it. Stupid says Joe, Joe Patrick, two headed nerd. <laughs> Skank. That is your ludicrous speed round in. Skank is not a slut shaming. No, it's the automatopoeia of the week and the sound of Jack Burton dispatching some road bandits with the trailer of the Porkchop Express as seen in Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, number one. Jack meat snake number one. <laughs> Jack snake. If you want even more reviews of this week's comics, head over to twoheadednerd.com and check out the ludicrous speed reviews by Aaron Myers. You know what old Aaron Myers always says at a time like this. Buy it. That dude loves everything. And <laughs> <laughs> remember, you can pick up all of these comics and the rest of the new this week's new comics through our new Amazon link at twoheadednerd.com. You can shop there for your funny books, your deodorant, whatever you want to get. And a little chunk of that change comes back to us. Hey, I just want to thank you guys real quick because you have done a great job kicking ass showing it. your thank support you. through that link. And it is so helpful to us. It's going to let us do... A lot of fun stuff coming up. I don't want to promise anything specific. Though. Yeah, you were very <laughs> generalized about it. The THN clam bake. We're flying <laughs> all you guys out. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, Matt and I have invited a panel of famous cats to discuss Donald Trump's problematic use of the word pussy. Joining us today are Heathcliff, Lion Cat, Josie and the Pussy Cats, Fat Freddy's Cat, Crazy Cat, and Catman. Of course. We reached out to Garfield, but he's blaming this whole thing on the liberal media. Before we get into our discussion, why don't we talk about what our must-read picks for next week are? Sounds good. I'm going for Reborn, number one, from Image. It's written by Mark Millar, and with art by Greg Capullo. 32 pages, $3.99. Here's your solicit. Mark Millar and Greg Capullo! You may remember those names. I just said them. Join forces to create the smash hit sci-fi slash fantasy story of the year, Reborn! Where do you go when you die? Not heaven or hell. Somewhere else. Somewhere you have to fight to survive. Somewhere the people from the past are waiting for you. The good and the bad. Joe Patrick, I know you've had some problems with Mark Millar, but you have to admit the last, I'm going to say five or six books that he's put out, starting with Jupiter's Legacy. Let's not get crazy. Have been fan friggin' tastic. The man puts out some good books and some very- Huck was great. Empress is Excellent. I like Empress a lot. Oh, man. He's been killing it. Starlight. Starlight was wonderful. Yeah, I mean, look. He's on a tear right now. This is going to be great. I've never denied that he has hits and misses. And uh, this one sounds like a lot of fun. I like Greg Capullo a lot. Yeah, man. And they've been talking about this for a long time, about what Capullo was going to do when he uh, took a break from DC. So I'm excited to see what they do. Cool. What do you read next week? Oh boy. Next week, my pick is Spider-Man, the clone conspiracy. Number one. Here we go again. <laughs> From Marvel comics written by Dan Slott with art by 
Jim Chung. Who turns out is not dead. That's great. It's 40 pages. <laughs> I love that guy. For $4.99. Here's your solicit. Dead no more. The, I think it's ain't dead no more. Ain't dead no more. <laughs> the jackal is back and has conquered death. The amazing Spider-Man is outmatched by his classic enemy's army. Does the wall crawler stand a chance? Should he stand a chance? That's <laughs> what the capital should. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't even read the right sentence. Should he stand in the jackal's way if he's found the key to eternal life? Yes. Because like we've seen the time and time again, <laughs> A, the Jekyll is a bad guy, and B, when things don't die, yeah. bad things happen. Always. There's never been a case of, oh yeah, he lived forever and everything was great. It no. never happens. <laughs> so uh, you may remember me mentioning on the show some weeks back that I have not been reading Amazing Spider-Man since the most recent relaunch, which means yeah. I have like... About two years worth of books to catch up on. Yeah, they're on like it's not even it's six twenty seven. They're on like eighteen or nineteen, but oh. uh, so it's like a year and a half's worth of books that they somehow shat out in six months. <laughs> well, it was two two a month. <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna do my very very best to, to get caught up in time to review this next week. I'm not making any promises. It's great, and they're quick reads. It's fun as hell. Shame on you for not reading it. Dan Slott is still killing it. I don't care what any of you jerks say. I love Amazing Spider Man. This is gonna be fun. P.S. I also love the original Clone Saga. Sorry. I did not. You can read that? The THN trade of the week goes to the most exciting comic book video game adaptation ever written. Tetris. <laughs> the games people play. The graphic novel. From I, first second. I books. wonder if aliens will show up like in the Battleship movie. Here's why it's going to be great. Because it's written and illustrated by Box Brown. Hell yes. We love Box Brown. Read his Andre the Giant bio a bio book. Oh my God. It was good. We reviewed it on the show. Alec Baldwin will chime in here and tell you where loved it. This is 256 damn pages. 1999. Wow. That is a steal. Wow. That is a steal. Here's your solicit. It is perhaps a perfect video game. Simple yet addictive. Tetris delivers an irresistible unending puzzle that has players hooked. Play it long enough and you'll see those brightly colored geometric shapes everywhere. Alexi. Wow. Alexei Pajitnov. Yeah. Alexei Pajitnov has big ideas about games. In 1984, he created Tetris in his spare time while developing software for the Soviet government. Once Tetris emerged from behind the Iron Curtain, it was an instant hit. New York Times bestselling author Box Brown untangles his complex history and delves deep into the role games play in art, culture, and commerce. For the first time in an unparalleled detail, Tetris, the games people play, tells a true story of the world's most popular video game. Look, this is going to be awesome. I'm thrilled. It, like, it sounds boring, no, but I am so excited to read this book. This is going to be awesome. And there was like talk of a Tetris movie that was being made. And I believe it is about this true story of oh, thank God. guy. It's not like, <laughs> yeah. It's not like Battleship the movie. No, no. <laughs> Where uh, Tim Riggins, yes. Tim Riggins, <laughs> and Rihanna fight and, Yes, <laughs> I think it's Rihanna. Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Now to our panel. Now to our panel. Heathcliff, where do you come down on the P word? Offensive or just co-opted by female cat haters? While Joe voices King Crossfire, why don't you guys have two old nerd boards and tell us what you think we should be reading next week? Don't listen to him. That trace has been nothing but a. Nothing in common 
But the show, I'm like Rodriguez, he's like Frank Cho. We grabbed our comments and headed down where we found the ziggurat underground. When we're wrong, Bubble makes corrections, and Matt keeps making jokes about erections. Try to fight it, but I'm telling you, Jack, it's useless. Opposites attract. Oh, Shazbot, it's been a while, but Joe still has his flow. Yo, the comic pushers are back, and today we're talking about the stars of Marvel's new Champions book. But before we get into it, let's go to the official two-headed nerd historian and comics bulletin contributor, Mr. Jason Sachs, for a little historical perspective on the Champions of Los Angeles. Yes! Thanks to Joe and Matt for asking me to talk about the history of the Champions in the Marvel Universe, such as it is. The Champions may have been the oddest superhero team of the 1970s, and the circumstances around their creation and management made them even odder. The team was conceived during a strange boom-and-bust era at Marvel in the mid-1970s. Sean Howe quotes one Marvel staffer as saying, You go into the office one day, and 30 books you edited last week would all be canceled, and even though they were in various stages of production, none of them were published yet, and 30 new books would be there for you to go work on. <laughs> Though it was a bit of an exaggeration, the core of that statement is true. Initial writer Tony Isabella recalls being given a go-ahead on three titles in the same afternoon, Champions, Black Goliath, and Tigra in Marvel Chillers, and was told the very next day that he was behind on his deadlines. Isabella conceived the Champions as a buddy book for Angel and Iceman, two former X-Men now exiled from their former series by the new X-Men, Nightcrawler, Storm, Wolverine, and the rest of that crew. Nike, uh, Isabella imagined the two friends, as he said, would travel across the country, driving each other, getting in trouble, and had, helping just plain folks with not-so-plain dangers and villains. Unfortunately, the editors changed Isabella's vision. He was told the team would have to have at least five members. That included the strong guy, so Isabella chose Hercules. That included a female character, so Isabella chose Black Widow. And that included a hero with his own series, so Isabella chose... Ghost Rider? He then launched the series with an epic battle in Los Angeles between the new team and a group of gods and goddesses. Originally planned as a giant-sized title, the new team slotted alongside the Avengers, the Defenders, the Fantastic Four, the Inhumans, the Invaders, and the X-Men on Marvel's busy schedule of 67 titles in the fall of 1975. The only thing that really made this team stand out was the fact they were so mismatched and their adventures took place in Los Angeles instead of New York. The series was not a hit. It debuted during a glut of comics on the stands, as well as a recession and the time of American malaise. In fact, Champions Number no. 5, April 1976, was titled The Economy is So Bad That, and starred a villain who robbed banks due to the poor state of the economy. This mismatched set of heroes didn't catch the eyes of many fans, despite the fact it started to catch some fire in the second half of its 17-issue run. When Bill Matlo took over as writer with issue number 8, he saw them as, in his words, a team that grows into a fighting unit slowly and organically. With the young John Byrne joining Matlo, drawing issue 11 onward, the team battled the evil swarm made up of bees while also battling their malfunctioning headquarters and their own internal arguments. In the end, though, the champions lost their crown as the series was canceled with its January 1978 issue, with two follow-up issues of Spectacular Spider-Man wrapping up the storylines. The team broke up quickly, and Marvel lost interest in the title so quickly that both Eclipse Comics and Heroic Publishing released comics called The Champions, subsequent to the Marvel release. A little historical perspective on 
the champions. There you go. We got a new champions team, though. Yeah. We just reviewed it earlier in the show. Joe Patrick and I liked it very much. Pretty good. Let's reset the team real quick for the listeners. So currently the team sits at Amadeus Cho, the totally awesome Hulk. Yes. Um, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Sam Alexander Nova, who I keep accidentally calling Sam Worthington, who was the star of Terminator, and whatever. Avatar. And Avatar, right. Uh, one Pardon of those me. damn Terminator movies. Avatar did. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and the terrible Clash of the Titans remake. Yes. Uh, and then was never heard from again. <laughs> and uh, the Vision's daughter from the Vision series by Tom King, who's yes. Viv, I think. Is I think that's name? right. Viv. Yes. So basically, this is your new Young Avengers, but it's got a much better title than Young Avengers. <laughs> We're calling it Champions. I love it so much more. I hope they incorporate some of the characters from the Young Avengers, though. Um, I don't think they're going to. I, I think know. that. Uh, so on the cover of the book is also Young Cyclops yes. from All New X Men, who has uh, he made uh, just a brief appearance, but not with the team. Right. Um, they also teased uh, the new Falcon, Moon Girl, and Devil Dinosaur. Yeah. And a couple other teen heroes. But I think this is a really fun oh, place. Oh, the new Wasp. This is a fun place for all these young heroes. This book is going to be great if they keep it. The, it's like Young Justice, basically. Yeah, right. For Marvel. And it's not called Young Avengers, which I can't stress enough. It's so great. And what a great place <laughs> to bring back the champions. Today, comic pushers, we're going to throw out a couple must-read stories for these characters. Because a lot of you guys are probably like, who in the hell are these kids? They're relatively new. Yeah, I'm like I'm not gonna say go back and read the Champions comics from no, the you 70s, don't need to. which you they did reprint. To. Marvel did reprint in uh, some very nice trade collections. Yeah. some very nice, very overpriced trade collections. Yeah. And if you're a Mantlo <clears throat> fan, by all means, pick them up. They're pretty to look at. But uh, yeah, like Matt said, instead we're going to spotlight the individual members and throw you a bone as to where you can go find more about them. Uh, so, Matt, why don't you kick things off with Amadeus Cho? I'm going to kick it off with Amadeus Cho. Before he was the totally awesome Hulk, he was the partner and right-hand man of the Incredible Hercules. I loved this Incredible Hercules run so yeah. much. It was Fred Van Lente took over, and this was, I can't remember, it was right after, what happened to the Hulk that this... It was after World War Hulk. Yes, and the Hulk, it was... Uh, uh, so, Planet Hulk, Hulk got fired into space, ended up on a war planet right. uh, that got destroyed, and he made his way back to Earth, and he was pissed. Came that back was World War Hulk. With some big, tough aliens. They took over New York. The and Hulk was a really, really bad guy for a while. When the when that was over, Hercules, or actually during World War Hulk, World, World War Hulk Hercules took over the Incredible Hulk title. Yes. And it became the Incredible Hercules. And for a brief, shining moment in time, oh, it was a wonderful comic. It was the best Hercules I've ever read. And the greatest thing about it was he had Amadeus Cho, this kid, brilliant, genius kid, following him around, like helping Hercules to be a real hero because Herc's kind of a hapless dork. <laughs> right. And, and we've seen him relaunched recently and it's been pretty good. I don't think that the new Herc is going to stick around a whole lot. Oh, longer. no, I think it's over. Yeah. But the just the the team of Amadeus Cho and Hercules was wonderful together. It was yep. silly. It was lighthearted. And it was a perfect way to like wash 
the hyper serious kind of gnarly Hulk stories that Greg Pak had been telling for a long time. They were good. Like Planet Hulk is great. I was yeah. not fond of World War Hulk. No, I, I get so pissed off whenever they make the Hulk a straight up bad guy. Yeah. I don't need that. And this was a great way to wash all that out of your mouth. It is still in you can find it in print. They did collect paperback. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Totally wonderful stuff. You can stop with 137. You don't need to read the tie in raid on Olympus or whatever it was. It tied in with Spider-Man. It wasn't great. And shortly thereafter, Shoot, I don't even remember that. Her got canceled. Yeah. Uh, but there was the chaos war, though, which yeah. was the event that kind of spun out of the Hercules book. Yes. Which wasn't bad. It was fun. No, it was a lot of fun. And Amadeus Cho was wonderful. It was book. like a uh, chaos war was like a way more fun version of blackest night where dead heroes yeah came back uh heroes came back from the dead and like yeah. kind of ran around acting crazy yeah it was fun joe patrick who are you highlighting so i'm just gonna go ahead and say that uh kamala khan ms marvel she has a series right now yes and her adventures are all collected and you should absolutely go buy them they're fantastic uh so that really doesn't bear any further explanation ms marvel ongoing there's three or four volumes out right now. Yeah. Highest recommendation. So I'm going to spotlight Miles Morales, who was a character that was created in uh, 2011 by Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Pacelli, uh, following the death of Ultimate Peter Parker. Yes. What does that mean? Well, uh, once upon a time, there was an alternate universe that was sort of a younger version of the Marvel Universe. That somehow still ended up in the same sorts of stupid shenanigans uh, where they fell into the trap of trying to retell famous stories over and over and over again, but, but with less successful results. And updated. Yes. Uh, it, the Ultimate Universe worked great when they did their own thing, but right. whenever they tried to do like, it's the ultimate version of this, it was like, eh, thumbs down. Yeah. But uh, there came a time where they decided to kill off Ultimate Peter Parker who was a, a, a young teen still in that book. And uh, so he sacrificed himself and Miles Morales, his uncle was the Prowler. Yes. His uncle is the ultimate version of the Prowler who had raided Oscorp and uh, unknowingly smuggled out one of the genetically modified spiders Whoops. that helped create Spider-Man. And that spider bit Miles. Boom. New Spider-Man. There you go. And, so he was inspired by Peter's death and took on the mantle of Spider-Man and ran around for a, a, a few years in the Ultimate Universe. I think that you can read his first few trades and and get a good sense of the start of that character and the personality and his supporting cast and then drop that book like a bad habit. Yes. Because it gets bogged down in all of the crazy nonsense that was going on in the Ultimate Universe at the time, which no longer matters because it got eaten by Galactus or whatever the f*** happened. Sort of. It got uh, blown up. It got eaten by Doctor Doom. Yes. And so now Miles Morales is in the main core Marvel Universe as another Spider-Man alongside yes. the adult Peter Parker that we have. And he has his own series right now just called Spider-Man. And it's great. And it is again by Bendis and Pacelli, who had taken a break from Miles's adventures for a while, and now she's back. It is a wonderful comic. It really is. So I think those first few volumes of Ultimate Spider-Man starring Miles Morales, and in fact, I think that's how they're actually branded. They're Ultimate Spider-Man colon Miles Morales. Yes. Volumes one, two, three, whatever. That's at least how they're reprinted. Yeah. Right. 
And then the new just solo titled Spider-Man comic starring Miles by Bendis and Pacelli. It's so good. And then for the Vision's daughter, Viv, Ugh. read the Vision. My Ugh. God, what's wrong with you? It's uh, They're tying up the series right now. It will be printed in trade paperback. It's oh, yeah. probably going to show up on a lot of I hope it gets like lists. a super fancy hardcover. Yeah, <laughs> it is absolutely amazing. Uh, the other character who we have chosen to kind of dance around is Sam Alexander Nova, yeah. who we are not a fan of. I have a lot of trouble with this character, and it's not because it, like the stories were bad, per se. I think it's fair to say that we don't necessarily have a problem with the character. We just have a problem with what Marvel decided to do to introduce the character yes. at the expense of a beloved character right. that we were huge fans of, Richard Ryder. Right. But if you're looking for a recommendation for Nova... Have no fear. Richard Ryder is coming back. Yes. And in the relaunched Nova series that's coming up in December, it's going to be a Sam Rich team up buddy book drawn by Ramon Perez, which I'm fine with. Holy smokes. If they want to do it that way where he's like training him, he's his mentor. Absolutely. Awesome. I mean, there's a whole Nova core. Yes. That was the the whole. Well, is there? (laughs) Well, there was. Yeah, there was a whole Nova core. But I mean, that was the problem that. That was the problem with Sam Alexander's introduction for long-term fans. It's not that, oh, how dare they introduce a, a another Nova. It's how dare they flush everything we loved down the toilet for this version. Yeah, and they were just doing something really cool right. with Nova for like the first time in a long time. And then all of a sudden, eh, it's gone. <laughs> like, and ah, now ah. Rich is back and he is going to have a partnership with Sam Worthington. Sam Alexander, I did it again. Stop doing that. <laughs> and Ramon Perez, the amazing, amazing Ramon Perez is going to draw it. Yeah, that book's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, boy. I think that's going to be really I'm cool. I'm very excited for that. So as you can tell, we're really excited for the Champions book. We're really excited for some of these characters. This is not just another like, oh, teen hero book. It looks like they're actually going to do something cool with it. I love they brought the name Champions back. Yes. This gets the comic book seal of approval. Pick it up. Let us know if you guys decide to check any of the titles out that we just suggested. Go to the comic pushers of the two-headed nerd forums and tell us what you thought of them. And feel free to suggest some other stories starring these characters. You know where you can find all these uh, graphic novels we mentioned? On Amazon.com. Through our Amazon affiliate link. Absolutely true. If you don't have a comic shop near you, you can click on our affiliate link and you can go buy these trade paperbacks. You will find it in the show notes for this very show. And you'll be helping us out when you Sort of break it it down like this. That is it for THN episode 267. If you're into podcasts that plaster their Tumblr with cute cat photos, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us some ratings, leave us some reviews, some stars, some hearts. It kicks us up in the search analogs so other nerds can find our show. We don't know. We don't really know how it works, but it seems good. Yeah, it's not analogs. What's the word? Algorithms? Algorithms. We are obviously not SEO experts, but please, please, please click things and like things. SEO doesn't (laughs) anything. Thank you to all of our donors. You nerds keep our comics in near main condition. And if you want to support this show, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. To become a sustaining member, simply check the box that says, make this donation monthly when you donate. Remember, as little as a dollar a month really does help. 
If you want to send us a sketch of what you think the two-headed nerd looks like, send it to two-headed at gmail.com. It's been a while since we've gotten any fan Nothing art. pornographic. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, what Nothing pornographic. Hey, art is art. That's all I'm saying, okay? And if you want to connect with us, head over to twoheadednerd.com. There you're going to find all our contact info. You'll find our Twitter handles. You'll find our YouTube channel. You'll find our Facebook, our Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week. It is a doozy this week. But more importantly, <laughs> you're going to find the Ziggurat Hotline. 402-819-4894. Use that number to answer the question of the week, to ask the comic pushers for things to read, to hit us up for Ask a Nerd, or just to say hello. And also to call and remind Matt to stop referring to it as thetwoheadednerd.com. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Which he does on a constant basis. It's like it's- Trump calls it the cyber. Oh, the cyber is so big uh, these days. I'm so good at the cyber. <laughs> Nobody knows the cyber better than me. <laughs> If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bum's Spotify profile. And before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our main man, the real New 52, Alan, a.k.a. New Mutant. Because he turned 52. Oh. Oh, we outed him, huh? Well, he outed himself. Oh, he outed himself. Who celebrates his 52nd birthday just yesterday as we record this today, I think. Maybe. Yes. Okay. Word to you, buddy. My wife loves it when you post yourself dancing to Beyonce songs. <laughs> and we'll often post herself dancing back right at each other. It's ridiculous. Look, his Twitter feed is a joy. Oh, it's great, man. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might put your cat to sleep. Uh, it's pussy. Yeah. Or your retailer might put your pussy to sleep. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Youch. <laughs>
This week, I had to read Midnighter and Apollo, number one from DC, a comic book just for me, written by Steve Orlando, with art by Fernando Blanco and Romulo Fajardo Jr. You Romulo know, sounds like he could be a Romulan. Um, I like that name. I actually do not remember seeing Fernando Blanco's name in the actual credits. It may have been in the solicit. Oh, really? Let me look. at. You go ahead and let me, let okay. me just... It was 32 pages for $3.99. Look, I was one of a handful of readers that loved Steve Orlando's Midnighter series of the new DC 52 or the DC new 52, or was it the DC? DC YOU. YOU. Okay. <laughs> Not important. What was important was Orlando created and fleshed out Midnighter's own little corner of the DCU where he fought a military industrial complex run amok. And Dick Grayson showed up a lot too. And it was fun when he did. The new miniseries feels like a perfect continuation of Orlando's Midnighter with a supernatural bend to it. And his old partner and lover, Apollo, is back. The last Midnighter series touched on Apollo and Midnighter's relationship, but the two had been separated for a while. Here, they are firmly back together, wrestling with a group of subway pirates and a train golem in an amazing first action segment. Blanco and Fiardo Jr.'s two-page action scene of the Midnighter fighting his way through a series of train cars. It's like page five, right? Right in the beginning. It is worth the cover price alone. So cool. Orlando nails the chemistry between the two stars of this book while illustrating their frustrations with each other's personalities. They have a real relationship. It's not just two homosexual characters that are homosexually in love and they are superheroes and homosexuals, you know? Homosexually in love. <laughs> like, they... What I'm saying is I believe their relationship. I believe they're a couple. Orlando is one of the only writers that I think can do this this effectively. We talked about the return of the DC Wildstorm U in the big news just a few minutes ago. And honestly, other than a brief appearance of Monsieur Mala and the brain, there wasn't much here that connected this issue to the rest of the DCU. You know, and I think that that is smart because like we were saying earlier in the news. Right. When you throw these Wildstorm characters that are very cool, they're very cool. I don't into the need deep them. end with all of the other also yeah. very cool DC characters, it kind of dilutes them. I don't need them there. And I think that having these guys just running around solo without having a lot of outside interference is a good move. Yeah, and I don't. It would not be a deal breaker for me if this miniseries just took them out of the DCU quietly. I'd be fine. 